Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> going to start reading at verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous." Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I titled the message this morning, The Curse of Sin and Its Cure. The Curse of Sin and its cure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for each one that's here today, and I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to obey, and I pray that it be glory in your church, and I pray that the Spirit of God would do His work. I pray that you'd use me and help me to uh, preach according to your word, and I pray that the Spirit of God would just work in hearts and bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And we'll give you praise and honor for what you do. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The curse of sin and its cure. There are several things I want to see from this passage of Scripture this morning as we think about the curse of sin and its cure. And first of all, that is the origin of sin. Now, there's some discussion in, in even in uh, uh, <clears throat> what's called Bible-believing circles, about the origin of sin, but the Bible makes it very clear here, the origin of sin. Verse 12 says, For as, where, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. By one man sin entered into the world. You know, this declares and assumes that we understand there was not sin in the world before Adam. This therefore negates any gap theory ideas. Now, you say, what is the gap theory? Well, there's, there's those who say that there was a prehistoric life or there was life before Adam. They don't know exactly what that life was. And some try to say that's when the dinosaurs lived. Well, if you read Job, 
if you read Job carefully, I mean, you don't even have to read it very carefully, just read what it says, I think you're going to have to come to the conclusion that there were Job's, and, or, uh, there were Job's. There were dinosaurs in Job's day, and Job described them for us. You know, the Bible says that in Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God made everything, the world, the heavens, and the earth, in six literal days. And in those six days, He also made man. You know, everything that's in it, in the world, that we see today. You know, Genesis 1 tells us that, and this is where they get this idea, that the earth was out form and void. Uh, and the idea in this verse is, it become, or, or they, that some translate this idea, what says the earth was without form and void, that the earth became without form and void, but it doesn't say that. And the thinking is that the earth was originally created not without form and void, but it became without form and void through the destructive work of Satan. So, so these, these people that believe in a gap theory, a, a gap between Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3, anyway, a period of time there, they believe that's when Satan fell and there was some cataclysmic destruction and God had to remake the earth. And of course, one of the verses they quote to all this idea is Isaiah 45, 18, which says this, Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Now the word, uh, uh, the word there, the idea is God says he did not create the world in vain. He made it with purpose. And the Hebrew word vain is the same word as the word void in Genesis 1-2. And you know, Genesis 1-2 says without form, and the word form means without vanity and without void. So God made the world. He didn't create the world without a form or without a purpose. God created the world with a purpose, and he didn't create it empty, which was what? You'd have to say from Genesis if they use that idea. No, he when it says he made it without form and void, it means he made it with a purpose and not empty. You know, he created when God created the, the earth and everything in it. He created everything mature. When God created Adam, he wasn't a little baby; he was a full-grown man. When he made trees, he made full-sized trees that. I'm sure had age rings already in them like we see today in trees. He created the rivers already full of water and full of fish and life. You know, everything he made, and, and he made all these things with a purpose. He didn't create it void and empty. Therefore, there was not sin before Adam's sin. Because the Bible very clearly tells us here, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. There was no death before Adam sinned. You know, I wonder what it must have been like. You know, we have people that can't stand 
something dying today. You know, it used to be, you know, if you, if you grew up on a farm, death was kind of commonplace. You know, I remember we'd have cows. We'd put the cows out in the meadow. Sometimes the cow wouldn't come back. We'd go looking for her. And she may be down in the, across the creek somewhere. Pennsylvania, we call it the creek. Across the creek somewhere and sick. Couldn't get up. She ate water hemlock or some poisonous plant, maybe, and often they died. Death was commonplace. And, of course, we butchered our own things, and so we, we saw death. Death used to be commonplace, but, but we live in a world now where people, they can't stand this idea of death, but we live in a world of death. We are dying. Hate to break your, the news to you, but we are dying. That little girl back there is already starting to die. See, and death, but can you imagine being Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, two little boys, and they never saw anything die? Never. No animals grew old and died. Their pet dog, you know. Fifi never grew old and died. Just continued to get older. Didn't even age. And all of a sudden, after Adam sinned, and then God slew animals. Blood was shed. And it wasn't too long after that that Cain slew Abel. That must have been a, a, an awakening. But, but what I'm saying here, that... The, Sin entered the world by Adam. There was not sin before Adam's sin. There was no death before Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22 says this, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we see here very clearly the origin of sin. By one man. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. Secondly, I want to notice the extent of sin. In verses 12 through 15, we notice the extent of sin. And I'm going to notice several things here. First of all, all have sin. Again, verse 12 says, For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. One commentator said this, To Paul, Adam was more than a historical individual, the first man. He was also what his name means in Hebrew, humanity. The whole of humanity is used as having existed at first in Adam. And so when it says, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, it's the idea here is all sinned in Adam. We all sinned in Adam. He says, some may object to this and say, but I never chose to to have Adam represent me. Of course you did. You identified yourself with Adam, the first sin you ever committed. It is absolutely true that we were born into our identification with Adam, but we also choose it with our individual acts of sin. You see, we all sinned in Adam, and we all sin by our own choices. You know, we could all say, sit there and argue about it. 
Well, I don't know if I had done that. Really? You know, James 1, verses 14 through 16 says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and ties. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You know, God doesn't tempt us to sin. We are tempted and we are drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. And when sin and when and lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So we have all sin. Secondly, the consequence of sin is death. Notice again verse 12 through 14 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. For until the law, sin was, not, was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death, notice this, reigned. It reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. You know, the consequence, of course, of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. You know, death passed on all, or death reigned over all. Death reigned over all. That means it, had, it was the strong influence, or it had control over all. And, and he uses this phrase uh, uh, twice. In verse 14, he says, death reigned. And then again in verse 17, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one. And so, of course, death is, is described as a separation uh, from God. And, and death, and since man's sin, we've had death, we've had destruction, misery, and war in the world. And all this is the fruit of sin. It's all the fruit of sin. War is, war is nothing more than, than the fruit of man's departure from God. Somebody has described it as, you know, uh, as, as instead of two individuals having an argument, it's two nations having an argument. War. Having disagreement. It's the fruit of man's departure from God. That's why all the chaos in the world. You know, God's people are not instructed to kill each other because we don't agree or take over the lives of those weaker than we or force everyone to believe like we do. And yet that's what we see in the world. Everywhere. And it demonstrates the sinful heart of man. You know, that is the history of the world. It's the history of false religion, even to this day. It's the history of Roman Catholicism. In 1990, I was just reading this yesterday. Uh, this is, this, I never heard this before, but I, was, I, I stumbled on it yesterday. From 1941 to 1944. By the way, the Pope made agreements with Mussolini and with Hitler and sided with both of them. In Croatia, Croatia, and we've heard about Croatia, Yugoslavia and the Serbians and all that during the Clinton administration, and it still hasn't gone away. In Croatia, in 1941 to 1944, the Catholic Church tortured and murdered 
seven to eight hundred thousand Serbs because they're Greek Orthodox, not Catholics. They wanted to create a Catholic Croatian state. All this was kind of hidden during World War II. And many of the Catholic Church archbishops who participated in these things escaped punishment because they were protected by the Catholic Church. How many hundreds of thousands have been murdered by ISIS? It's religion. To create the rule of Islam. See, that the curse of death, and the curse of death is universal in its scope. You know, it, it even preceded the law. Now, there's an interesting phrase here, verses 13, 14. It says, For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. You know, the, the, the law was given by Moses, so, so those from Adam to Moses didn't have the law that we have today, the Ten Commandments and all the, the laws pertaining to that. But despite the fact they didn't have that, death still reigned. Sin was still in the world. It just wasn't as apparent. And so death, the curse of death, is universal. It even preceded the law. You know, and you know, after the innocence of the garden was lost, man was led by his conscience. Uh, he had knowledge of good and evil. In fact, Genesis 3.22 says, The Lord said, God said, Behold, the man has become of us one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, he put him out of the garden. And of course, Romans 2, verse 15, talks about the conscience, where it says, which show the work of the law written in their heart and their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So there's this time period that we call the dispensation of conscience, which ended with the flood, and man became wicked, more and more wicked, and every thought and evil was, uh, only thought and imagination of the thought was only evil continually. And it ended with the flood. God finally destroyed them. And then he instituted human government, which says, Genesis 9, 5 and 6, And surely your blood of your lives will I require at your hand. Of every beast will I require at hand of a man. The hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So God gave them human government. If you kill a man, you're to be put to death. Still man rebelled against God. We had men like Nimrod. He was a mighty hunter, it says, before the Lord. Now, Commentators say that he didn't hunt animals. He was a conqueror. He was a dictator. He hunted men. And the phrase before the Lord means in the face. In other words, like he was in your face, God. That was his attitude. And of course, we had the Tower of Babel. And God confounded their languages. And then the law was given by Moses as a standard of the righteousness of God. Again, it was to show man's exceeding sinfulness, exceeding guilt before a holy 
and righteous God. In Romans chapter 3, we notice in verses 19 and 20, well, now we know that what things serve the law saith, saith to whom they are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the, his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law was given as a standard of righteousness, of, of God's righteousness. And again, it was to show man's his exceeding guilt before God. Even the creation, even the creation bears the weight of man's sin. Look at chapter 8, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of of the sons of God. And the way the word creature here is talking about the animal kingdom. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. So it was Adam's sin that brought the curse of death into the world and the animal kingdom and and the, the earth was also subject to that curse as a result of Adam's sin. Verse 21 says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. Remember in Isaiah chapter 11 it talks about the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the child shall play in the hole of the asp. It's a poisonous viper. Neither shall they hurt in all thy holy mountain, it says. See, one day God's going to restore to this earth during his millennial kingdom as it was in the Garden of Eden when there was no death. But see, all this suffering, this corruption, this bondage that we see, this, this groaning, as it says in verse 22, we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. And now even the world, the, the earth itself groans. We have volcanoes and, 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 and uh, typhoons and we have, we have earthquakes. The earth says that we're groaning. It's cursed. In fact, look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verses uh, 17. Genesis 3, 17. You know, after God, or after man's sin, the Lord told Adam the earth would be cursed as a result of his sin. Uh, Genesis three seventeen. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is thy ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. You know, I thought about this many times when I was back home on the farm, and one of the things we had to do in the summer was take a mowing sigh and go cut thistles. Oh, I hated cutting thistles. Where'd they come from? They're part of the curse. They are good for nothing. Except to prick you when you get too close to them. I mean, there's nothing to eat them. I don't even think goats will eat them. Goats will eat about anything. 
You see, the earth is cursed. It doesn't bring forth its potential because of man's sin. And so we see the extent. All the world is cursed under the curse of sin and the reign of death. The reign of death. But I want you to notice thirdly, the conquest of sin. The conquest of sin. We see the origin of sin and the extent of sin. Thirdly, the conquest of sin. Verse 15, but, now, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which was by one man, Jesus Christ. It hath abounded unto many, and not, not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So Paul's making a contrast here, you might say, the contrast to one man's offense which brought judgment upon all to condemnation. So because of Adam's sin and our sin, we are all sinners by birth and by choice and therefore condemned before a holy and righteous God. And death reigns. In our world. It is the exercise of the highest influence. But we can be conquerors. And have victory over death. By the disobedience of one. We were subject to sin. By the obedience of one. We can have victory over sin. Look at verse 19. For by one man's disobedience were many, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 8. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 5 through 8. says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, Christ was obedient to his heavenly Father, obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. And he died in obedience to the command of God so that we could be delivered from Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, For as much then uh, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death who were under the control or the influence of death all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, because Christ was obedient unto death, He could deliver us from death because He didn't stay dead. He rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, He can give us victory over death.
Hebrews 2.9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. See, the Lord Jesus Christ tasted death for every man, even those from Adam to Moses, and from Moses to Christ, and Christ to the end of time. He tasted death for every man. Every man. Hebrews 9.26 says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. And we're talking about comparing him to the Old Testament priesthood who continually offered sacrifices every year. And so they say if he was like them, he'd have to, he'd have to uh, uh, often suffer. But now, it says, in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away. Sin. Put it away. Sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, but one man's obedience, many shall be made righteous. We can be conquerors and have victory over death because Christ died in our place. But this gift of life must be received. Notice verse 17 and 18 it says, For by one man's offense death reigned by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So this gift of life, this gift of grace must be received. This abundance of grace must be received. This is not by chance, but by choice, even as our sin is by choice. Adam's sin was by choice. Our sin is by choice. You know, after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the city that was hostile and hated him and where he had been put to death. This also, and he told them to tarry there until they found what, has, what, has, what his death had released. That is, his life through the Holy Spirit. They were sent back to the place their master was put to death. Jesus did not try to change the city before he sent his disciples into it. He changed the disciples, and they went out to change the city and the world. And how did he change them? He put himself in them. In the person of the Spirit. Notice again verse 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. In other words, we're talking about the word reign means to have the highest influence, to exercise the highest influence or to exercise control. And, 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 and again it says, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of, life, gift of righteousness shall reign in life. In other words, again the word reign here means, so we could say that, that when we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, it will have the greatest influence. 
It will exercise the greatest influence or the control in our life. And when the disciples, when the Spirit, you know, Jesus said He was going to send the Comforter, and when He came, He exercised the greatest influence. And it changed. It transformed those disciples. You know, John 14. Look at John 14, 16 to 20. John 14. <clears throat> 16. John 14, 16. You know, Jesus, this is before Jesus was crucified, but he's telling them what's going to happen after he's crucified and risen from the dead. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye shall see me, because I live, ye shall live also. In that day ye shall know that I, notice this, that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. See, Jesus told his disciples to go back to that hostile city of Jerusalem, where he had been crucified and where they were hated, not to change the city. But he changed them with his presence in them. His presence reigned in them. I mean, the same guy who denied him three times, 50 days later, preaches to a crowd that crucified the Lord and said, whom you crucified and slain, him hath God raised up. See, it was Christ reigning in them. You know, that's what the Christian life is. It's Christ having the greatest influence. It's Christ giving me life and giving me having the greatest influence. You know, it is the new man to take care of the old man, to subdue the old man. It is Christ to conquer Adam. It is Christ to conquer the Adam in me and in you. We're all born of Adam. We must all be born again. You know, we receive an old life of sin from one, Adam. We receive new life and its righteousness from the other, that is Christ. And where sin may abound in the old life, grace did much more abound. Notice verses 20 and 21 says, More of the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, so there is, though sin may abound in the old life, in the old Adam, there is abounding grace, exceeding abundant grace, marvelous grace. But again, this is not automatic. By choice. It's by choice. 
We must receive Him. One is because we are born. We're born in sin. The other is because we are born again. One is because of the fall. The other comes by faith. By faith. This life in Christ has the power to transform our lives. You know, Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 24, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on a tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. See, this righteousness, this eternal life, this new order of life is produced by Christ, who is our life. But it must be received by faith must be received by faith again it's a choice that you and I have to make I mean do you do you have that new life has your life been transformed or changed have you been born again do you bear does your life bear fruit of new life in Christ you know today you have the opportunity to change your life will you receive him Well, maybe you maybe you have received him and you haven't been living for him. You can change that today also. See, it's all a matter of our choices. You know, no man, woman, boy, or girl has to be under the curse of sin. Because God has provided a cure. And that cure is in the man, Christ Jesus. But he must be received as Lord and as Savior. Have you received Him today? Have you received Him as your Lord and Savior? If not, he can, you can make Him yours today. But you must receive Him.